anything off highway has a very, very narrow uh, ODD or a very narrow definition of what is acceptable, uh, which means if it's narrowly okay, there's a whole lot of stuff which is suddenly bad. So in the example of like a 400-ton truck at a mine, um, those vehicles, if they drove over your Tesla, uh, would not feel a crunch and would not hear any noise that emanated from that Tesla. And as a result, if they see a Tesla near their path of travel, the, there's one answer, which is come to a stop. There is no like, well, I don't know. What the, what's this Tesla driver doing today? Do they seem to be driving erratic? Or are they going to try to cut me off? It's just like, huh, they're not supposed to be here. Let's come to a stop. Hello, and welcome to the Autonicast. My name is Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor with TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this podcast. I'm also the founder of the Human Driving Association, the spinal tap of car enthusiast organizations. And I might have been an investor in the, one of the companies that we're talking about in the show today, except the guy who pitched me didn't give me the name of the other guy in the show today, who actually gives it credibility. Let's do this. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we should say that the two people joining us today are actually repeat, repeat a ton of cast. I think that there are three timers at least, maybe four timers. And so I think Josh, Josh has done the show more than anyone, I think. Probably. So the Josh that Ed is referring to is Josh Hartung, who was the um, co-founder and CEO of Polysync. And now has how many startups? I'm not sure. We're going to get to that. At least two. <laughs> um, and then we also have with us um, Steven Saltz-Achmacher, who is formerly of Starsky Robotics and now also has a new startup called Polymath Robotics. So welcome, you guys. Thanks so much for having us. Welcome. Great to be on. Uh, and by the All way, right. Stefan here. Stefan is a mean civilization player. And I really thought he'd spend more time on that uh, after his last startup, but we can talk about that at the end of the show. Kirsten, lead, lead us lead us into this. Well, I, first off, Josh, how many startups do you have right now? Is it just two or are there more? Yeah, there's like, there's just two. One, I'm, I'm in the process of killing off. You know, it's like, oh. yeah. <laughs> hopefully not the one that we're talking about today. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> No, there's another one. Okay, so the one that we're here to talk about today is Signal Technologies Inc. or Signal Auto. I think that you is is kind of how it refers to it on your LinkedIn page. So, oh, all right, two two. You might want to clear that up. Is it Signal Auto or Signal Technologies? It's just Signal. You know, you always have you always end up having to put some fancy word like Signal okay. Technologies or robotics or you know innovation right. or like something stupid at the end because right. otherwise Signal yeah. sounds stupid. Right. Well, and also it could be confused with the messaging app. But you didn't create a messaging app. You've actually are working on a, a hardware <laughs> automation robotics company. Yes. So explain to our explain what the company is and how you got here. Sure. So um, after the, so back when I was the CEO of, of Polysync, we had this product, which was always kind of the redheaded stepchild. Um, we had a product called DriveKit, which, which was used to take over control of Kia, uh, various Kias. I'm a big Kia lover, as everybody knows. In fact, I have pictures of the hamsters. 
Um, you guys were there. Some, for of, that. some of which I uh, took. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we always had this redheaded stepchild of of a product, which which was called DriveKit, and we kept trying to sell everybody on the software that we that we made and things like and things like that. And we, you know, we made good progress, but but um, after the demise of that company, which is itself a long story, um, I kept getting this incoming. I went into the aerospace for a while, and I was I was doing um, sort of chief engineer work on on big jet turbine things. And but I kept getting people emailing me, hey, we want to get DriveKit. Like, where's DriveKit? We can't get it. And uh, or, you know, like the, the DriveKit broke. So um, I called up one of the original engineers on that project and I said, you know, hey, if we were to actually like make this a really great product, if we were to focus on safety uh, and, you know, manufacturability so we could make these things in volume and really sort of cater to fleets and companies that were starting to build businesses, would that be possible? He said, oh, hell yeah. And so that's kind of how we started Signal with a with a with a box to control Kia Nero, and uh, and it's and it's just sort of grown from there. And then Stefan, we last time we had you on, we you it was a great, well received episode actually, in which you kind of talked about what happened with the demise of Starsky Robotics and made your... many enemies for a lot of bridges. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a very honest conversation, which I always appreciate. And because it's pretty rare, um, I it's rare that I <laughs> encounter that. Episode 181, if you want to go back and listen to it. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. Um, and But since then, you, you did a few things and then you ended up starting a new startup, which we just mentioned before called Polymath Robotics. And, and we're having both you and Josh on because you're actually working together. But first for our listeners who could read the story I wrote on TechCrunch, or they could just listen to you describe what Polymath Robotics is. Yeah, so Polymath, we're building general autonomy software for industrial vehicles. Uh, That's anything from a tractor on a farm to a 400-ton truck in a mine. And the the real impetus for this was while I was at Starsky, uh, we have this experience that a lot of other folks have had in autonomy. I know like Alex has seen this at Argo, kind of everyone's seen it everywhere. Um, I'll just hold the mic up like this so I can be real uh, super sexy, um, where we constantly get inbound messages from random billion dollar companies who no one's ever heard of saying, can we pay you $8 million to pivot your whole engineering team to focus on this super, super, super niche vehicle that no one else cares about, no one else does it uses for this task, but we really care about it. And the problem in so much robotics is we'd have to say no. We'd have to say, like, we don't need your $8 million because once we make you know general autonomy for trucks work, we'll be billionaires and your $8 million will be peasant money. Uh, that's clearly uh, in retrospect. And uh, now at uh, Polymath, we're building a product that makes it really easy to automate all of those uh, uh, long tail stuff. But we're just doing the software side, which is why I'm so incredibly happy to have Josh as a partner on the, on the hardware stuff. Okay, surely Alex and Ed now have questions. I mean, could you just just walk us through like it, it, you're a customer for, for, for Polymath, right? Like, like, who are you sort of generically, right? Like, I mean, feel free to name specific companies if, if you can name customers, but like generically, who are you? And like, what does that sort of relationship experience like look like? like so you could be a, a company that's trying to start the next Bear Flag Robotics or the next Outrider, the next whoever. Um, and the, the challenge with a lot of those startups is they spend the first two to four years of their life building something that can drive from here to there without bumping into stuff. 
Um, you, so you could be one of those folks. You could be a billion dollar company that operates that that's in forestry and operates like uh, lumber ports or that is in mining or that is in waste management and say, like, we have a big long term problem with staffing and we'll pay you a lot of money to make this random equipment we already own. That's, you know, five hundred thousand dollars a pop to two million dollars a pop and pay you to make it autonomous. Or you could be an OEM of that type of equipment realizing, hey, John Deere, Caterpillar, Komatsu are $100 billion companies that spend lots and lots of money on autonomy. We are a, a, a small little tiny player only worth $1 to $10 billion. And uh, we'd really like to be able to offer autonomy to our end customers. So the interesting part to me is that you also have the ability for people to use this free tool that works on an internet browser. So um, it's kind of pretty accessible and it's free, yep. I think you said, um, called Caladan. And where you could, let's say you're a, a big farmer or you have, you know, you're a giant e-commerce operation or you're um, a smaller distribution center, but you can basically play around with this sim yep. and see how it might work or what it would look like. Um, and is that being used by customers today? Yeah. So we've gotten really strong uh, feedback since we uh, came out of stealth with your fantastic article last week. And for anyone listening, you can go to polymathrobotics.com, sign up. And in uh, we we're promising 72 hours, but I think we're actually more like two to four hours. We will spin up our entire autonomy stack in a simulated world that you can start to command around with Gazebo. And uh, sorry, you can start to command around with our API. And the reason for that is basically to get started in autonomy, you've either needed to be a super hackery person with a spare vehicle and $30,000 or a non-super hackery person without a spare vehicle and $200,000 or $400,000 before you could even see something move, let alone do something all that relevant. What we're, what we're hoping to do is make it so that in a weekend hackathon, you could build an application that drives through a, a vineyard or inspects solar panels or drives around a port, and you could just build that high-level app, tie it, to our, tie it to our API, and have our autonomy agent actually do that driving around. And when you're ready to get a vehicle, when you're ready to outfit it, um, you can call us and call Josh at Signal, and we can make that, that a reality for you, all using that same API that you had previously used in that really lightweight project. We're basically lowering the barrier of entry in autonomy from six figures to, to six cents. Well, it's also like a nice marketing tool in a way, too, yep. because you can see like you can visualize it. And instead of doing the sales pitch, like this is what it could be like, look at my PowerPoint. You know, then people can actually play yep. A CTO of a several billion dollar company is playing around with it um, specifically because like I saw his eyes light up when he realized that he didn't have to commit a million dollars of budget to know if we were full of shit or not, or full of it or not, depending on how the sensor button works. Um, there is no sensor button. <laughs> That's it to answer your question. <laughs> all right. So, so I've got a question. So, all right. So I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I've got a farm that, yep. you know, I don't know. We're harvesting, we're harvesting soybeans. Widgets. Uh, widget widget fruit and i have a vehicle that only four of them are manufactured i want to be are you feeding robots i'm sorry and i want to be a customer so i call you i i use this sim thing yep 
and now I need robots. Now I need the, I need to autonomize, automate yeah. my my machines. What is the business? Who do I pay? Who do I yeah, pay to, yeah. to automate my machines? So the average widget farmer can't really be our customer unless you know you happen to be a widget farmer who can interact with the REST API. Um, but more, if you're not the average widget farmer, but you're your average Alex Roy, um, you can uh, you can decide. You know, I love widget farmers. I want to help out all the widget farmers by making their their vehicles autonomous. You can start playing with um, our product in Sim. Literally, I was able to edit our example app, and I can't write a line of code. Um, and and Alex is better at all things than I am, um, especially looks. Um, so he'd be able to immediately uh, start doing interesting things on top of our example app. He could show that to some widget farmers who would say, wow, Alex, you built a hell of a product here. Um, I will pay you $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 a month or a minute. Um, if you automate these uh, specialty vehicles for me, at which point we'd get on a group call and Josh would say, well, these uh, these vehicles look like a perfect thing for us to automate um, and would figure out how long that would take and, and, and the work involved. And we would uh, all be set up and we could and we could then enable you to go sell autonomous widget farming devices to all the widget farmers out there. I see. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? I love, I love, I love software companies. <laughs> what, what I appreciate here is that Stefan learned from his prior startup that perhaps one should bite off smaller pieces <laughs> in order to raise money. Because after the screed he published, that he explained that episode, what was it? At one eighty what? One eighty one. One eighty one. Um, that it was you wanted to attack us like a it's a, a still a very wide problem but at a, from a different angle and i appreciate yeah. that i also appreciate that josh hartung is involved because he's been the voice of reason for so many years but what i really would like to know okay because okay i buy that there's a business here and uh what i like to know is how when you made the first investor pitches how did you answer the question of of how harsh what you had to say about the industry was in your, your previous iteration of yourself? Oh, I, I definitely uh, put myself in the role of like super contrarian um, and, and, and talk way too negatively about people who capital sources liked a whole bunch. Um, and I think I, it, am I, when, I raised, when I was trying to raise my Series B for Starsky, I successfully convinced a lot of investors that they shouldn't invest in the other autonomy companies without successfully convincing them that they should invest in my autonomy company. Which uh, was not <laughs> I mean, that's one strategy. Uh, and by the way, if you, if you think if you think if you've listened to to episode one eighty one and you think uh, Stefan is 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 particularly frank and blunt there, uh, you should see him towards the end of of an Autonicast party um, when, when <laughs> a couple of us left. Uh, that's when you get the real the real frankness. But seriously, I, I do want to pull out like one of the, cause like there's this, there's this theme in, you know, in the, in the article that Kirsten wrote, great article really explaining sort of what you guys are doing um, that, that jumps out to me. Right. Because like the, the theme is generalizability, like you call like plug and play. Right. Yep. And you talk about a lot of different potential use cases, a lot of different kinds of customers, a lot of co different kinds of vehicles, potentially automating a lot of different. So, so, and, and like, if you've been around, 
robotics and automation and stuff, you know, like that, that's sort of one of those, those things, right. Where it's like, you know, generalizability is hard and like generalizability yeah. is one of those things that people who don't understand automation yeah. and robotics tend to think is e much easier than it is. Yes. I want to start with Josh. Um, on the hardware side, because I think, you know, I, the comment earlier about like, oh, I love how software companies can just sort of talk about this stuff, <laughs> um, right? Like it doesn't matter how good or bad the software is if you don't get it, you know, working in the machine. So so just on that generalizability point, Josh, like, you know, what what is the range of, of vehicles that, that you can do? You mentioned you developed this around Kias. Um, personally very familiar with your, your deep love of Kias. Like, like going beyond that, like how far beyond can you go? What, like, like, can you do any kind of vehicle and on a hardware side, what are like the challenges of being that yeah. like generalizable or trying to serve that like broad of a potential customer base? Yeah. So a uh, part of the reason we started this is because it's not particularly generalizable. So, um, the, you know, lots and lots of software companies or, or of autonomy companies would like to you know, convince investors and their customers that they are software companies. And, uh, and in fact, you know, you can't have a robot without a robot, right? I mean, you sort of can in sim for a while, <laughs> but but at sort at some point it's, it has to not be a video game anymore. And so um, that was part of the reason we founded this company was was to deal with that messy hardware layer in a way that was consistent, reliable, and safe. So you know anybody you know seven's experience this, experience this, and anybody who's had spent any time with these robots is like you know. You'll you'll build this amazing engineering team, but typically you'll hire like one ME undergrad to like make the robot, and then you end up on site, you know, during these test trials that cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars with all your employees there waiting because like fifteen things blew a, blew a fuse and you know the, a wire ripped out a, a, of a sensor and you know and a myriad of, of like hardware problems happen. So it's like these companies live by the software but die by the hardware. And so, um, so, so uh, it just so happens that I like hardware. I'm a mechanical engineer. I like, I like machines and trucks and cars, and I like understanding how those systems are built. And so when we started out, we, we wanted to build something that was for cars, right? Like, you know, robo-taxi services, these car rental delivery services and things. But it was actually Stefan and a few other customers that started going like, hey, you know, what about off-highway vehicles? And off-highway vehicles, as it turns out, are like, I'm just going to say just right engineered on high on highway vehicles are significantly over engineered. I'm not sure why it's like, they feel like they need to, you know, especially like German and American cars are just like, there's 15 weird buses that don't exist any anywhere and crazy checks and things like that. So actually for us taking over, um, taking over on highway cars is like 10 times harder when we get into a tractor or a forklift or, you know, a, a, a log processor or, you know, or what, whatever it might be, um, you, you know, it's significantly simpler because those systems are made by a much, you know, leaner engineering team. You know, they're made to work. You know, it's, it's like farmers. That's Farmers design stuff to work first and foremost. So in, in messing with these cars what we, or these vehicles, what we found is like, if it's an off-highway vehicle, we've got a menu of stuff and we can pretty much universally, I mean, I feel confident saying that universally take over almost any off highway vehicle, you know, in just a matter of, of weeks, it's reverse engineering on every one of them. You know, there's bracketry and motors you're putting in sometimes and you're reverse engineering their communications, buses and things like that. But, um, you know, so it takes a variety of techniques. It's not generalizable, but uh, it is pretty quick and pretty reliable. So Stefan, I'm going to, I, so I need, I, you know, 
the, the same question kind of over to you yeah. about sort of the generalizability on the software side. And I'm going to hazard a guess that your answer is going to have something to do with the fact that this also to do with the with the off highway nature of this. Is that a, is that a factor? Are there other factors as well? So off highway is a big cheat code because it means we can slam on the brakes. Um, like anything off highway can like and not and anything's the wrong turn. There's going to be somewhere someone out there who has a niche understanding of logistics in an underground mine who's going to be really angry that I said anything. But um, but more or less anything off highway can come to a stop. Anything off highway has a very very narrow uh, ODD or a very narrow definition of what is acceptable, uh, which means if it's narrowly okay, there's a whole lot of stuff which is suddenly bad. So in the example of like a 400-ton truck at a mine, um, those vehicles, if they drove over your Tesla, uh, would not feel a crunch and would not hear any noise that emanated from that Tesla. And as a result, if they see a Tesla near their path of travel, the, there's one answer which has come to a stop. There is no like, well, I don't know, what the, what's this Tesla driver doing today? Do they seem to be driving erratic or are they going to try to cut me off? It's just like, huh, they're not supposed to be here. Let's come to a stop, which makes it way easier to build something that looks like generalizable autonomy. And now I'm, I'm, I'm quoting myself in air quotes specifically because like, while we're building something that aims to be generalizable, while, we, while, while we're building something that aims to be universal, the, the secret in the pudding is essentially that there's a whole lot of this stuff that is hard, that is enterprise-y software, where we're going to be doing hand-holding stuff for customers to make just that, that basic generalizable autonomy layer work for nearly anyone. Um, and that's with us just focusing on the software. To, to Josh's point, we can't even get to that point if a fuse is blown and the vehicle doesn't move. If, if, if our, our GPUs were left running by someone on the ML team and we've since killed the battery and now we need someone to go drive their car up to the vehicle and try to uh, give it a, uh, a start, uh, give it a jump. As, uh, just as it turns out for both teams, the, the hardest problem to solve is limitations of the 12-volt battery. <laughs> but but so so and so part of it is is the off off highway but it seems like part of it is also you're not you're not saying you're gonna they pay you money and you get them all the way to a final project like you are more of a of a of a picks and shovels company so that's part of it too right because as we also all know from any form of automation essentially it's always getting to that turnkey product that anyone can just sort of operate in a Right. That, that, that's where the hardest part is. And, and that's their job. Like you just get them to the point where yeah. they can we're, work we're out their problems. That, we're giving you something that can navigate from one GPS coordinate to another GPS coordinate without hitting stuff with a bunch of internal safety engineering to make sure it knows if it's working or not with a lightweight teleop kickback in case it comes to a problem and needs a person to look at it with a, with a bunch of that prepackaged really hard stuff that sucks up the first two to four years of your life. And for your entire lifespan is always going to be 40 to 200 engineers working full time on it. Like it's just always going to be that much effort. Um, however, why it should go to that GPS coordinate, um, what the conditions are at that GPS coordinate, um, the knowledge that if it drives um, over on this lane to the right, um, it, it can only drive at 15 miles an hour. But if it drives in this uh, other path to the left, it can drive at 35 miles an hour. 
all of that is stuff that we need a team with more uh, on-site, whether it's on-site knowledge or industry domain knowledge. We need somebody like that to do that final tuning. However, I would I would fashion a guess that part of why uh, industrial autonomy hasn't rolled out very quickly is that there's two types of teams. Teams with that on-site knowledge who think a lot about specialized behaviors for their specialized use case, um, who don't have the technical chops to raise enough money to build to reinvent all the wheels, or teams with the technical chops to raise all the money to reinvent all the wheels who are too disconnected from what the end customers care about. Interesting. So one thing that came up, Josh, when we were talking was you said something, and Stefan, you actually kind of talked about it a little bit today too, and you were talking about how it might take a company two years to get to this point where they can you know, run their vehicle autonomously in a certain environment. But that to me was code for to put up a demo. Yes. And and then to put up a demo in order to raise funding. Yep. And Josh and I had this really interesting conversation, which I didn't include the article, but I was hoping we could talk a little bit about today because it relates directly to sort of the cycle that autonomous vehicle technology is going in right now. And I want both of your viewpoints, which is, Josh, you said something to me like the biggest thing during like the the lead up and run up and during the hype cycle was like just to get a demo to work at CES. How has (laughs) your business strategy changed now? You said something to me, something to the effect of, we're not interested in working with companies that are just trying to do a demo. So who are you interested in working with? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, back back in the PolySync days, that we had these crazy names coming in our door. I mean, I've always sold, you know, built and sold sort of the components of autonomy. We've never been a full stack, you know, or application builder. So we have these companies coming in the door that are like Fortune 500 companies, and they've got an engineering team dedicated, and 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 their ultimate charge and goal is literally like a car at CES. That's what everyone's working toward as a trade show. And they're spending ridiculous amounts of money on these demos. Like those demos at CES are costing a million dollars just to have the car there, you know, just for the sensors and the car, you know, and some basic GPS coordinate following. So that business, first of all, doesn't really exist anymore. Most of those big companies have divested, you know, or just stopped investing in that that type of work. So what's left and what I'm really excited about is this is this sort of transition of a lot of sort of smaller startup founders like Stefan that are trying to build real businesses. So they come to us and their goal is to get to a concrete, you know, we, we need a vehicle to get to this concrete milestone that will show the value in our system that will allow us to then get to the next milestone of fundraising and building a larger fleet. So that we don't have, we don't have a single customer that's like a one vehicle customer. They're all, you know, okay, how will this work when we go to scale? How will this work when we go to driverless? You know, what systems do we need in place? It's all, you know, one unit now, 10 units next year, 100, 1,000, et cetera. And, and that's, to me, that's just such a remarkable difference. It means that we're going to end up with like actual practical, you know, money-making businesses in this industry for the first time ever. That seems so well-suited to your personality because I think the first time we met, you were just like, already complaining about demos and that was like at the beginning of the hype cycle so like there were like several years left of that um to happen so <laughs> so you must be in a, a year and a yeah, half i probably could have made more money on on not being the contrarian there <laughs> well it's good to have but... two contrarians so stefan would you 
um, echo the, the, his sentiments. Like the two dude. regretful contrarians. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have literally both <laughs> expressed <laughs> regret the, about being contrarian, and I I love it. Because right, I know, but God, if I only had not been, <laughs> yeah, if only had not been. Um, so, <laughs> so, Seven, are you? Um, I mean, do you regret? Do you echo that? And and also, do you regret saying and writing what you did back in there? I mean, do you still believe in what you said back then, and how now the industry or parts of the industry seem to be moving towards actually like pragmatic solutions that will work? So, in terms of articles that I previously wrote, as I previously mentioned, I'm I'm trying to no longer be Mr. Negative uh, Negative Nancy in public settings. Um, uh, that's that's how I feel about those articles. Um. <laughs> yeah, but 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 sometimes the truth is sometimes the truth and the reality is negative. It's just the way it yeah. is. I mean, you know, so. Yeah. I'll also add stuff on the pressure's off a little bit because there's a bunch of other companies that are going under and their founders get to be the negative ones now. As uh, <laughs> as uh, one, of, one of the podcast hosts uh, uh, said to me very frankly during a Zoom call last uh, September, October, is other people got a lot farther just by being the booster of the industry. Um, and that that might be a good model to to think about in the future. And uh, yeah, this is a really interesting industry with a lot of great people who are working really hard and have a lot of, uh, you know, great things ahead of them. Um, uh, to have no sarcastic tinge to that statement at all. Uh, but but to the to the demoware uh, comment. Um, so I think I think Josh's point is correct. I do like seeing a slightly more positive view of humanity. I think that when in that big demo phase of let's all just get a car at CES, there were there was this underlying group of people who thought that like step one car at CES, step two question marks, step three general autonomy, we all make a trillion dollars and no one ever dies in a car accident again, um, and like. We like, you know, obviously any underpants gnomes reference is a, is a statement of uh, intellectual seriousness. Um, but it's also a there was this underlying belief that it was as easy as like put a slap a couple of LIDARs on a car and look how good computers have done over the last 10 years. They'll probably do just as good at full autonomy, full general artificial intelligence like this is all going to be solved. Um, and actually, I've seen there's, there's similar stuff in industry. Um, so to not name any specific names, but you could probably point some, you could probably figure some things out. There's been some notable industry autonomy demos that companies spent like $40, $50 million on to make stuff work for like a week. Um, and the thought was it's going to work for a week and then we're going to be able to roll it out and we're going to have benefits of higher productivity, safer job sites, more software margins, all of this nice stuff. And the challenge has just been that, like, there's been a false equivalency between robotics and software. Um, people have seen crappy hackery apps that exist in a weekend become billion-dollar companies in 18 to 36 months and have thought, well, okay, well, this robot kind of sucks now, but it was uh, a tenth as good uh, 30 days ago. So imagine how great it will be. I can remember early comma AI articles saying, wow, this guy built something that kind of works in two weeks. Imagine how good it will be in six. Um, whereas what I'd actually say is that robotics in general today looks more like software did in the 1980s or the 1990s, where everyone builds everything from scratch 
for every project. As a result, if you ask exactly the right questions of the AI system, it will tell you exactly the right answers. And if you deviate at all, if you try to apply it to a new thing, if you try to do whatever, you find out that it's just a workflow app that's been handmade and is really you know breakable. Um, and a big part of the switch from like 1985 and 2005 or even 2015 was uh, not building everything in-house, being able to buy stuff like really, really good hardware integration from somebody like Signal, being able to buy stuff like really, really good generalizable basic autonomy from Polymath, and then just focus on the small little bits of stuff that matter to your business. And that's, that's what really good software companies look like today. And I had a chance to see some of them in, in my sojourn between Starsky and Ear, uh, where I realized like, wow, you guys are a software company making $2 million a year, but you arguably have no software. You have a Webflow front end. Um, you have like Coda or whatever on the back end. There's like six things that have been ever engineered here, but mostly it's integration work. Uh, and you've built a real and interesting business off of it, which is more than can be said about a lot of companies in, you know, on-road robotics. So obviously there's a lot of optimism around, was a lot of optimism as you both kind of referred to during the, what I call the demo days of, um, you know, the CES demo days of the autonomous. And it was exciting to be a part of that. You know, we would yeah. get in them and, and it was fun. Are we merely just now, you know, taking all of that, that exact same, the good and the bad of that moment and just putting it towards industry? Or is there actual progress been made um, and that three or four years from now, we're not going to be having the same conversation about ah, actually industry? No, um, I, I sense optimism for sure. But is it different this time? That's a great question. Um, I mean, yeah. I feel like yeah. Josh might have the answer to it if yeah. you if you if you want to think about that one. <laughs> I mean, I think thing. I mean, I already said it. Things are different this time. You know, we're not getting we're not getting you know we're getting a lot of like interestingly we got we got a bunch of startup founders that are that are wanting to do interesting applications with uh they're doing interesting applications with, like. We've got people who are delivering rental cars. That's not something I didn't expect. Like it drives autonomously to you, and then you drive it. Wait, uh, oh, is that the British guys? Uh, I'm not at liberty to say. But, <laughs> I think there, are, uh, but, I think there uh, are a couple of companies trying to do that. Yeah, there's a couple of companies trying to do that. You know, there's still robo taxi stuff. You know, you, you know, but so, so, you know, we got these startup founder guys, but we've got a lot of like integrator people. Like, interestingly, is this sort of, this sort of, um, uh, you know, we got people who are, who are trying to build applications out of components like Stefan's and ours to build, you know, useful applications for customers who are coming to them and going like, well, if we could automate this thing. So, you know, those are ones that I pass off to Stefan, but like, there's not a, there's not a, everyone is extremely practical, Right their goals are very achievable, you know, and, and, you know, and their funding is pretty tight, <laughs> which is kind of a good, like, it's a good sign. So, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know. I mean, there's, there, there's always optimism to start a business, right? You're going to start a business, you better be an optimist because there's a lot of pessimism to go around. But, uh, but, um, you know, by and large, I see people who are focused on, you know, what I say, the fundamentals of business, you know, selling some shit for more than it costs you to make it. So I remember, 
I remember Josh really early when we were first getting to know each other. I referred to the AV industry, and you were like, "Don't call it that. It's not an AV, it's not an industry. It's 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 a it's a science experiment with like hopes of someday becoming an industry." It's and like you were right, VC and that was something science experiment. Yeah. And this was years ago, and like yeah. it, it, it's one of those things that you hear you hear things in this space, and it takes you like a while to understand how true they are. And like I think like just in you describing sort of this evolution of you know you were in the space. That was how, you know, you that was one of like a frustration that we would talk about. We were out in trucks in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and and you left the space and you know, and then like and now you're back. And like I can just see in terms of how you're describing what, what the business was like and what it was now, like that is something that is starting to change in a way that's not just talk. It it like that makes sense that it's that it's real. And so I think that is a really interesting like there there is one other change. element. Yeah, there's one other element that I find really interesting is that. It's happening in other pieces, but uh, I don't hear about the startups then getting excited to landing funding and then working on getting the next amount of funding based on a proof of concept deal with an automaker. Mm -hmm. And that just seemed like, even back then, exciting for the startups. But when I would meet them, I'd be like, but what happens then next, you know? And and we know what happened next. Automakers are a fickle bunch. And they'd be like, okay, thanks. We're good. And then the startup would be like, what? <laughs> um, are, you see, are you seeing that happening at all? Like in, on the industry side at all? Are, like, are there a lot of proof of concept type type things going on or is it structured in a different way? So, I mean, I think, I mean, I think in places like, like uh, the work that Caterpillar has been doing, they're rolling out autonomy to every vehicle that they can automate at every mind that they can do it, which is not that many vehicles and the entry points pretty high, which makes it not as many minds, but it is not from a uh, customer interest perspective. The customers are interested in like, Let's get to zero entry mines so that every vehicle can move 10% faster. And I think going back to your question about is this different this time, um, go, if, if robotics today is software in the 1980s, sure, there were, you know, there were Steve Wozniak building their own computers and doing some interesting stuff in computing in the 80s and early adopters who were doing word processing back then for files that nobody could really print and nobody could say, get, get emailed to them. But it was industry who was buying those early Oracle and SAP systems. It was industry who, while they have very specific expectations of how stuff works, is okay with a, a, a different sort of product than we might be expecting if we were buying something that looks like an iPhone, which I would liken to a lot more of the on-road autonomy stuff. Alex, you must have some, some sort of question. It would not be appropriate. Okay. I'll ask a, I'll ask a question. So one of the things you mentioned, Stefan, is that you were like, you know, you had a call and someone pointed out to you that uh, the boosters went a lot farther. And and Alex had asked, you know, I know, like, did you burn bridges or something? Yeah. And I guess we know that you didn't with some people because you got some pretty high profile investors. And I find the group of them incredibly interesting because it is literally the exact opposite in my view of what they're working on. And so what I'm talking about is like Oliver Cameron who Mm -hmm. founded Voyage and Voyage was acquired by Cruz and also Cruz co-founder and CEO Kyle Vogt, um, uh, Matt Sweeney, who is over, I believe at 
Uber ATG, right? And now he yeah. um, uh, started uh, Thursday Ventures. So I don't know what you can say about that, but I just find that interesting that here these guys are all working on or worked on robotaxis and they believe enough in your idea to invest, angel invest in something that seems to be doing something very different. Are they, they are they hedging their bets or like what's going on here? They all have also gotten these emails from big weird companies saying pivot. Um, and I just checked Crunchbase to see if one of them was uh, a public, but like one of them even had investment from a large industrial company that was largely like, hey, can you automate this specific vehicle in these types of industrial sites that we have? We're interested in writing a large check in your next round if you do that. When it, one of those groups got a check like that, um, specifically because everybody gets these emails once a month. Like Cruise gets these emails, Voyage got these emails, Tesla gets these emails. I mean, I think I think we it's been a long time since anyone's talked about the Tesla semi. But that's that that comes out of one of these emails of like, man, it's really hard for us to move Tesla cars from a factory to dealership. Uh, maybe if we if we can make the trucks autonomous and electric, that would make make sense. Industry has been banging down the door of autonomy, saying, please, please, please automate this stuff. It's really hard to staff. Interesting. So I don't know how much, it- but it's decidedly less sexy. Like ro- like robo taxis will uh, are a great conversation starter at a bar. Um, automating trash compacting uh, wheel loaders at a at a landfill uh, doesn't doesn't get people so interested in talking to you. Yes, but the latter might make you more money faster, <laughs> and be a business that exists. Listen, listen to that, investors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Alex, of course, is being very quiet right now. Um, but I'm sure you have questions uh, that are maybe look, under, look, the, you know. this conversation is, a, is like a political and professional minefield for me. So. Right. But but you also could talk to them about anything else. So here's your chance. Walk us through the people that you pitched who said no because of your blog posts. Um, I think those people mostly just didn't respond to, to uh, my uh, my emails. <laughs> so, <laughs> Who was who was unable to forgive? Um, I, I think more the story of who was unable to forgive is uh, related to the fact that there was no interesting big autonomy jobs that came towards me after uh, after said blog post. Um, and I think part of that that wasn't even just the blog post. I spent five years as Mister Contrarian and five years as as uh, often often in press, often on stage talking about why I didn't think certain things would work and didn't make sense. And I made a lot of points that I think were both amusing and convincing. Uh, And I had a lot of really smart people have to argue against me in public. And I think more interesting than anything else was the number of folks who since left those companies bumped into me at a bar or or an event and said, oh, yeah, man, you were right the whole time. It it, It sucked being on stage with you. (laughs) the feedback that i got obviously we could never hire you because of what you said um but yeah uh, you're totally right yeah um i think you guys have made a really great argument for like how this space is getting you know more sustainable certainly like economically you know growing up maturing right like i think it's a it's a maturing process um and I think that's good and that's healthy and that's necessary. And like confronting hard truths is 
hopefully, you know, part of the maturing process of like getting older and dealing with responsibilities and realities of, of the world that we deal with. Uh, at the same time, for all this progress, all these good things, right? Like the biggest name in driving automation is a scam. No, no, if you like, disagree, really? if you disagree with me, that's fine. I'm just saying, like, how do you reconcile those things? Me. This is this is my question. How do you reconcile that you progress reconcile on the one hand and the show. fact that the biggest name in driving automation is a scam, or or do you need to? Is it is it just a curiosity uh, for, for you guys where where you're at? Does it matter? But, Does it not matter? Wait, who's the scam? Who's the, who's the scam? I mean, Tesla. I think I think Tesla is oh, okay. the, both the best known <laughs> company in driving automation, and I think they're also a scam. Again, correct me on any of that if I'm wrong, but but like that's no, how I, I see I, it. And I, I think that Tesla has the best ROI and autonomy of anyone. They've uh, they've made the most dollars from customers and probably spent the least in engineering of any company worth over a billion dollars in autonomy. Exactly. Uh, isn't yeah. that isn't that a problem though? The fact because like yeah, scams scams have a great ROI. Like that's this is not the only <laughs> this is not the only example of that. Uh, but isn't that sort of a worrying thing if you work in the space and this is the best known example of the of 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 the space that you work in? Like I, I again like I I don't you know I don't think there's one one answer. I'm just genuinely curious in, in how you guys see that that as a factor. I mean maybe maybe. Maybe maybe it's time maybe it's time to stop talking about like the autonomy space as its own space. Like it's it really it really you know these uh, automation is really is really specific to the application. So so you know maybe that's had a hit for automakers, right? But you don't see people going like I don't want to automate my you know my forest fighting you know machines because Tesla made some big promises they never. You know, they never completed, uh, uh, right? According to some Tesla fans, if you work on a, on any vehicle in any sector, any vertical, doesn't matter what it is, you're a competitor to Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, listen, I have to go I mean, before anyone else does, but I have a question. All right. So you named this uh, – one of your products is called Caladan. Is that, is that yep. correct? Yep. All right. Uh, so Caladan, obviously a reference – to uh, the Atreides homeworld, uh, Water Planet. and um, But regardless of it, that being the Atreides homeworld in the Dune universe, uh, we all know that in the Dune universe, AI uh, is uh, banned ever since an event called the but- – according to the Butlerian Jihad, um, the AI is banned and all uh, thinking machines are banned. And all we have are Mentats who are basically yeah. teleoperators – in the year of 14,000, which is when Dune takes place, and we give mild advice. And there's some some planets like the Tleilaxu, and, you know, they cheat, and they create some, some basic thinking machines. So was your selection of Caladan as a product brand, uh, your attempt to, to be clever in the hopes that people and your customers didn't read the books? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would have a question. I was was not expecting anyone to bring in the Butlerian Jihad for at least six months after launch. Um, So wait, wait to jump there faster. Uh, (laughs) uh, It is not a reference to the Butlerian Jihad. It's a reference to our first team offsite was watching the movie and, Mm -hmm. and naming stuff is really hard. Caladan in the books has just enough written about it to be a good place 
with nothing controversial. It's not like a lovely home planet <laughs> happened to oppress all the women. It's not a lovely home planet except for that one racist thing. It's just like, oh yeah, Caledon, what a great spot. Everything was great when we were in Caledon, as it is. <laughs> so, so is your server farm name like like Gady Prime? <laughs> Welcome. But, but Okay, Alex, it looks like you're in our uh, autonomous vehicle and you click the uh, autonomy button to get it to stop driving around. Um, uh, I, I tried to listen. Before I go, let me say this. The fact you can, that I can you click can drive it around and right this, this, is very, this is very cool. And I have not seen anything quite like Well, I can't really say if I've ever seen anything quite like this. But it is cool. I have to go. Enjoy the rest of your conversation with my colleagues. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off to I'm off to the gym, which is the Seleucus Secundus room in in uh, in the basement of my building. I'm kidding. I gotta go. Bye. Uh, and there there goes Alex exiting as in style. Um, Ed, I've tried this. Why don't you try it? Uh, yeah, give me just a sec. Yeah, just uh, do I need to resend the message, or you can click on that same link. Okay, so so I'm looking here. Uh, I just clicked a link, and I see. A steering wheel uh, on, uh, I guess, a tractor in a field. Um, And I see if I can, there's like a right arrow, and I click on the right arrow, and the steering wheel moves. Um, So that's cool. What what do I do now? What what, what should I do? So there's a diamond in the middle of that circle with the arrows in it. Why don't you pull that diamond and hold it at like 2 o'clock? Or or you could also pull it to like 5 o'clock and just hold it there. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's it's the... It's moving. But you, so are driving, on, you are, sorry, you are driving an unmanned tractor with no one in it, no one on my team within 100 miles of it uh, in Modesto, California. So are you, are you in Oregon still or are you over in Texas these days or where are you? I'm, I'm in, in Oregon. Texas. I'm in Oregon. Oregon, yeah. <laughs> so only, you know, only like uh, 500 or 1,000 miles or something. You know, no, no big deal. So, Stefan, when you told me to do this, then I was like, I'm not going to listen to him. What if he's already programmed it to do this? And so I don't know if you realized, but I was like, did the exact opposite of what you (laughs) told me to do. You're like, okay, now put it to two o'clock. I'm like, I'm putting it at 11. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I try to give options so they, they can do that. But I mostly try to tell you directions that aren't towards the fence. If if I try and drive to, I mean, like I can see sort of like places where I think you probably don't want this tractor going. If I try yep. and like, yeah, can I? Should I? There's a geo fence um, around it that should stop it. But right now you're like facing the fence. Why don't you turn around? There, there'll be like a, a gate in the fence, and you can try to drive towards that gate. Just because I'd rather the geo. Fe- if if uh, my geo fence doesn't work, and you're driving towards the gate, you'll go further than I want you to go. But All if right, my so geo fence just- doesn't work. Yep. So right. Yeah. Why don't you drive towards those vehicles? All right. Yeah. Try to take it out on the highway. Take it for a spin. Yeah. Um, so the system that you're driving is what Josh retrofit. Um, Josh, you want to talk about what you put on our uh, on Farminacci our tractor? Uh, yeah. It was just an off the shelf generic tractor. So you got a tractor on AliExpress, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it looks like you, know, you can't forward anymore. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to drive into some kind of uh, farm equipment, and it won't let me. Which I think is like, I mean, understandable. But like, this could be more fun. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like 
I feel like we've reached the point here where fun and safety are starting to trade off. <laughs> you could you That's could set up you really. could set up like an obstacle course in which you know people try to avoid something, but if but if it happens to be like I don't know some little miniature like Tesla vehicles or something oh, that Ed would love to drive over accidentally. So our, our, assumption, our assumption is that the safety, the teleoperator is a professional um, who is working at their job when they're driving it and is getting us out of trouble as opposed to we need to protect them from creating trouble. Um, um, I mean, that we can change that. We could like rejigger stuff for that. But the, that's that's the that's the broader point of teleoperator. Right. But yeah, sorry, sorry, Josh. Why don't you tell them about all the stuff that you definitely did not put on a, on a John Deere tractor? Yeah, yeah. So, so we acquired a generic tractor um, <laughs> that we did. We that we did a little bit of uh, a little bit of um, uh, you know research into initially to make sure that it was sort of well predisposed to being automated. There's a couple kind of checks that we like to make to make sure we're not putting in lots of extra actuators and things like that. And uh, we brought it into our shop and uh, completely disassembled it, installed a variety of actuators and control systems, reverse engineered the vehicles, control buses, sourced factory connectors. We installed uh, a variety of mounting um, planes, things like that for computers and sensors, installed it all, stuck about a mile of wire and ethernet cables in it. Um, and uh, and then delivered it back to Polymath in approximately three weeks. Yeah, I, I yeah. actually try to not tell people how fast uh, the signal team was um, because I worry that I'm going to make it hard. I'm going to set expectations that will be hard for them to meet as they scale. <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it, it took six weeks, you know. It, yeah, they, it works really well, but it took a while. Um, <laughs> and I say that in some big corporates, like, wow, six weeks, that's lightning fast. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. But, but the cool thing about that, about the project actually is, is the way we do those retrofits is we develop all the documentation, all the engineering, um, models and diagrams and, and drawings and things that are necessary to completely recreate that system again without having the, the another vehicle in house. So. Uh, today, I could sort of kick off manufacturing and, and in, in a few weeks deliver a full retrofit kit that, we, that could be installed, you know, usually in our facility, but potentially even in the field and, uh, and perform exactly the same. And, and I, I hit our, uh, our e-stop over IP here. So, uh, so you, won't be able to, you, won't, you won't be able to try to hit more farm equipment. Awesome. And he just, uh, he just showed me a, a, a big red button that, that he keeps on his desk. So um, since, since there's obviously no one in the vehicle, yeah. So where are you two thinking, not just where your two companies are headed? I mean, if I presume, Josh, if you continue to work with Polymath Robotics, you'll have to grow your team and Likewise, over at Polymath Robotics, the more customers I get. Um, but what are you thinking actually more broadly about where autonomous or automated vehicle technology is headed in general? And and I, I'm asking this in the business sense. Like, do you think we've looked a lot at con consolidation happening? But I've always said I've thought that there would be this wave of consolidation and then everyone would like go into their corner and like shake off 
that situation in which maybe their company folded or maybe they were laid off and then come back out and not leave autonomous vehicle technology. Like they would stay in it. Do you think that that's happening that we're going to see like another wave of startups like yourselves? Um, or are you to, you know, anomalies? Anyone can answer that question. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I had an, I, I, I had a bunch of interesting conversations last summer when I was like looking for like founding team, co-founders, stuff like that. Um, I think there's a lot of folks who are trying to wait out that consolidation right now and figure out all of what that means for them. I think there's a lot of folks who can't imagine life outside of a, a company that looks like a Google. Um, uh, and uh, But many of them have built skill sets. Many of them have built uh, insights into how something works, how some component works. And my my belief is we're going to see you know the swords into plowshares type of moment as a lot of these folks take autonomy and say you know my dad had a landscaping business when I was growing up uh, that's how he paid for me to go to CMU and now I'm going to automate lawnmowers um, or or growing up I've always been really interested in airports and I did all this stuff in robo taxi because that was a robotic thing to do but like now I wonder if there's something that can get me closer to aviation. And I think like there, there was a consolidation, but the big challenge in startups is they tend to live in two-year timeframes. Like, there's, a, there's a great like, blog post by uh, Justin Kahn, uh, founder, of, uh, founder of Twitch and a bunch of other companies, um, that is essentially however much money you raise, you'll spend it in two years. Like if you're really disciplined, maybe 30 months. Whether it's $2 million or $2 billion, two years is the timeframe which has always kind of been at a cross-section or uh, has not worked well with raising massive rounds for frontier tech companies that might have 10-year time, time frames. Um, and I think a lot of these companies, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of really good talent tied up in these large organizations who are starting to think about what can I do that will add a lot of value and be really interesting within two years, not within 10 not within 30, not within five, but like what can we do in two years that will work? Especially now that we know we're not two years or two weeks or two minutes away from magical AI showing up. So so how how far is is Polymath from being a an a financially you know uh, viable company where you're not gonna need to raise more money? We got we got work to do. <laughs> um, we, we, we we have paying customers. Um, we're we're at the point where it's like a it's a recognizable amount of revenue um, as a uh, we're, we're we're starting to look and think and sound more like a SaaS company than like a frontier tech company from a financial perspective, but but that's still not saying profitable, still not saying break even. So I would I would love to be in the spot where customers paid all our bills and investors were just optimization. But and and just extrapolating from your previous comments, like you need or want to get there within two years, it sounds like. Or or, or could it be or could it be another round maybe and then get there? Or, yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, the, the two the, the two year comment is um, like however much money you raise you spend in two years, and then you have to raise more money or be profitable. Yeah, um, I'm not saying that we're we're going to be done with fundraising. Um, yep. Probably far from it. Um, yep. However, uh, we're we're making the type of progress that justifies investment without hype of autonomy. Okay, 
And Josh, I, I assume I that what the market needs companies to look like these days. Like no, 100%, 100%. To, to earlier point, it's no longer a POC and hype that lets you uh, SPAC, gets you to SPAC. It's now like real actual progress where you're delivering product and, and people are happy to pay for it, which I've definitely been happy to pay for Signal and I'm sure, and I know others have been too. So Josh can answer the question as well. Yeah, no, and I just wanted to clarify because, right, because, yeah, like like being more focused on, on getting to a real business doesn't mean you only raise one round. And so I just wanted to kind of get a, a, put that into perspective. Josh, I assume the city of Moscow, Idaho still has a, an ordinance that says all businesses must must be cash flow positive. Is that, is that still <laughs> – or is that just a Josh Hartung personal rule that all, 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 all companies must be cash flow positive? You know, that's uh, – one of my big disappointments in my you know career in this industry was, you know, we, we sold – picks and shovels, right? We sold uh, components of, of autonomous driving. And one of my big, dis- big disappointments with the demise of PolySync was just leaving the customers that had uh, invested time and energy and, and uh, you know, and skills into our products that we no longer supported. And this is just, you know, this is the, uh, the common thread in VC funded, you know, whether it's a SaaS company or a robotics company or whatever, you know, like if you're not profitable, eventually, you know, you, you may face extinction and, and, and letting your customers down. And so um, with this particular company, I sort of made the commitment to make sure that we were um, cash flow positive at, at, at pretty much all times. So the company's profitable. Um, it's small, certainly doesn't look like a VC funded startup, but, uh, but, but, you know, the intent is to develop very useful technology within our, within our, our scope. And to make sure that we're there for a very long time to support it and uh, and add value to our customers. Well, I, I think this has been, it's been a really fascinating conversation, and I, I do think like it, it was really cool to have um, Sam from Perceptive Automata on the show to kind of you know be in that role that that Stefan was in uh, you know not not too terribly long ago. But I think it's also really cool to see you know both of you guys like having been in that position of like disillusion and then coming back to it with a new attitude. And I think, you know, it's it's sort of, it's such a cliche, but like, you know, why do you fall down? Like, so you can pick yourself back up and like, and like it's, it is, it's cool to see that like, it doesn't mean just doing the same thing over and over again. It means like learning from the experience and, and, and getting back on the horse and just taking those lessons um, to, 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 to do it all like better than you did the first time. And so I think it's, 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 it's all like all of these perspectives are are really important um, to have out there. And, and I really think that like, you know, probably especially younger people who are listening to this are really going to benefit from like your guys' experience. So thanks, thanks so much for sharing it. And um, also, it's just fun to chat with you guys. It's been way too long, like both of you. I do have one more important question. Take us home. Are either of you going to have a demo at CES 2023? <laughs> <laughs> this is why Kirsten Korsak makes the big bucks right here. <laughs> So I have gone to a couple of conferences recently where the same demo that uh, Ed just did, I walked around with my iPad and walked up to people and said, here's a tractor. Why don't you drive it around? So I think we'll, we'll have that demo, um, but I, I don't think we're going to be uh, bringing out a, a, a full autonomous kit. Well, come, come to the Autonicast party and, and, and have a couple drinks and drive a tractor. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a promise I'll, I'll commit to. Free, free uh, tractor driving. At the Autonicast party during daylight hours, because that, that camera view does not look very good in the dark. In the dark. <laughs> Two drink minimum. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're, I'll just be walking around CES with a trench coat full of electronics and wiring harnesses. 
and I'd be like, Hey, you want, you want me to, you want me to automate your tractor? Nice, nice looking Kia you got. Can I look under, can I, can I look under the hood? So I'll be that guy. Okay. You're not allowed to do that at our party though. <laughs> I, I'm officially even more excited for CES than I already was. Have you seen my well, new ECU? That's what I'll, I'll be that guy. Nice. Well, maybe you can hire the Kia hamsters to follow around and that would be a great sales pitch. Maybe I'll wear a a hamster costume. You know, when they got rid of the the hamsters, like someone somewhere ended up with a bunch of unused hamster costumes. We need to find the the liquidator they did and get Josh a hamster costume. Okay. Well, suddenly this conversation has taken a turn. And so I'm going to take put a stop to it. And so thank you, Josh and Stefan for joining us. Uh, thanks Alex for joining us for half of it and Ed also, and also for our audience for listening to another episode of the Atomic Axe. Thanks so much guys. Thanks everybody.